The Royal Commission into the Detention and Protection of Children in the Northern Territory highlighted the potential dangers of some methods used to restrain detainees. In particular, the use of spit hoods and the potential to cause respiratory difficulties was a contentious issue, with the Territory Government arguing the practice was reasonable. But now, South Australia is set to become the first jurisdiction in the country to ban the use of spit hoods in prisons. The State Parliament recently passed a unanimous vote in favour of the legislation known as Fellers Bill. It was named after Wayne Feller Morrison, a 29-year-old Wiradjuri, Kokatha and Warangu man who died after being held in Adelaide's Yatala Labor Prison five years ago. At the time, Feller was made to wear a spit hood by guards following an altercation. A recent coronial inquest has heard that he died from sudden cardiac arrest, but the state forensic pathologist said she could not rule out the possibility that he was having trouble breathing. Since his death in 2016, his sibling, Latoya Rule, has been a vocal campaigner for the prohibition legislation, and she joins me now. Latoya, welcome back to the program. How's the family doing at this time? Yeah, obviously at the moment I would say that a lot of us are finding a space that we haven't had before, which is a space just to be alone and also just together as a family and reflect on these last five years. So we're okay at the moment. I was going to say it has been five years of campaigning. How are you feeling about the result? I'm pretty overwhelmed and very, very exhausted. But at the same time, I feel like it's a bit difficult to move forward in terms of what next steps to take. Because the five-year campaign obviously took so long, it means that the coronial inquiry into my brother's death as well has also taken just as long. And while Spithoods, thankfully, have now been banned in legislation, there are still so many unresolved things as a family that we're yet to fight for, I think. So part of me wants to celebrate knowing that other families won't have to experience and other individuals won't have to experience the torture that is spithoods. But yeah, we've got such a long way to go. Just mentioned about how long that coronial inquest has been and it did recently wrap up proceedings. It must have been so difficult and often frustrating for families. I was wondering if you could share what your experience was like going through that. Yeah, so it's been obviously such a long time on a personal level. I'm so different to where I was five years ago, even a year ago from now. This process has really taken over my life and my whole direction from what I was doing prior is very much more specific towards Aboriginal deaths in custody and these issues and how it affects my family, but obviously other Aboriginal people throughout Australia. So, yeah, I guess in many ways I have more of a hunger and a passion for this area to be able to see further change happen for my mob and obviously throughout Australia. But in many ways, the grieving process still is yet to begin. And as I said at the start, now that we've got the space to finally sit and reflect on what's happened and all the kind of times that we've come up against the state, the multiple different inquiries and processes we've found ourselves having to work through 
yeah, it's pretty overwhelming, but I feel really proud of my family for staying this long and for us being so resilient this long. And I know that we can only continue to go forward with other families and find common common ground. Yeah, I just want to thank you for sharing that with us. You know, there's been such an interest in Black Lives Matter and the issue's been had more awareness raised and people understand that the statistics are terrible. And, you know, just listening to you share those insights with us, LaToya, really does help remind us how these are things that have really impacted on families and there are people who are going through really extensive processes and you remind us of of the emotional difficulty of that. So I just want to really thank you for, you know, being so willing to share that with us so that we gain deeper insight into what, you know, I think in the past has probably happened behind closed doors. You know, it's so amazed and inspired by how people keep fighting against the face of such injustice like your family has. It must be very overwhelming. What, well, how do you sustain yourself through those moments? For sure. And there's definitely been a lot of times where I've had to, and my family have had to throw our hands up and just say that today's too hard, you know, and that's completely okay. And I think during the process of doing that and of having to take breaks, really important breaks to self-care, you feel a lot of guilt and shame because you carry so much of, you know, change of what we've seen, even just with the bed on spit hoods, that kind of stuff falls on our shoulders. The success of those movements really fall on our shoulders as families um, because we're sometimes the closest to, obviously, the movements. But something that's gotten me through again and again is just remembering what my brother stood for, what my brother would have wanted, knowing that while I'm sure he would have been saying, you know, incredible work, keep going, keep going, keep going. I know that just on a level as my brother, he wouldn't have wanted me to see me push my life to the point where I wasn't living anymore as well. And so just remembering what we're fighting for, like you said, Black Lives Matter, and remembering that we too are those Black Lives That Matter and for us to continue on the, in the movement and pushing this work forward, we also need to care for ourselves and put up boundaries as well as much as possible, which, again, only five years later now I can say that while I'm in a bit of a rest period. But, you know, that's not always afforded to us in the beginning or ever, really. So, yeah, very privileged as well. So really important piece of wisdom that you're sharing with us there, LaToya, too, about the importance of us to make those boundaries of, you know, that self-care is actually really critically important if you're going through these really enormous emotional roller coasters, these times of huge grief and processing so much that actually it's a really important thing to to take and uh, to take those steps. So just wanted to pull that out of the, the wisdom of what you're saying. But given also what you've just said about, you know, how that period's been for you. What was it like to be watching the South Australian Parliament the moment that that legislation was tabled? Uh, I was thankfully with my mum, sadly over in lockdown on Gadigal <laughs> land and unable to be in the, in the room in Parliament. But I was with my mum and we did, you know, have a bit of a cry. And then I got actually very angry and I didn't expect that because I thought I had dealt with a bit more of my anger toward the first part of 
when Wayne, you know, died and, and the processes, but it constantly comes back. And I was angry because I remember a month before Wayne died, alongside people like Uncle Toto and a few other Ghana community members on Ghana land, I was part of organising the rally for justice for Dylan Voller against spit hoods. And I remember just pleading with the government at that stage, a month before Wayne's death, for them to ban spit hoods. And the bill that originally became Feller's Bill that's just passed, at least in the Legislative Council in the Upper House, that bill was put forward two times prior to Feller's Bill by Connie Bonaros, MLC, who's part of SA Best. And just knowing that the government at the time didn't vote in favour of those bills in the Legislative Council made me bitter. It made me bitter because I know that this could have been done ages ago. It could have been done ages ago. So, yeah, I was relieved and, again, knowing that nobody else will have to suffer this torture, but I have to let go of that bitterness now, you know, and um, just remember that we need to move forward and I'm committed to doing that for myself. And, of course, acknowledging how much, as you've said, that there's, there's a grieving process that's that's ongoing, that started and will continue, that you've had a whole series of official processes, but there's a whole range of things that will need to be completed and reflected upon in terms of of your sibling of, of your of your brother's death. I just was wondering, you know, it, it does strike me too that we see so many people challenge the system and fail to make any headway that amongst everything that you've got to deal with in terms of the the family situation, you actually have been able to drive a significant legislative change that will undoubtedly save lives. And I just wonder, given that we have so few of these wins, what's your advice for people who are out there advocating for change? I mean, of course, don't give up and keep pushing. But again, this change didn't come over the last five years. This change has come because of multiple, multiple people who are visible and also not visible to the wider public who supported this legislative change. And so I think the the thing that made me continue and strengthened me the most is just remembering that those people who might come alongside the movement, that they're not always the ones that are most visible, that the ones who you walk through day to day, the ones who you're seeing every single day, the ones who are just sending messages of support here and there, who may not have been, you know, had the opportunity to give financially or in ways that seem big, but the ones that are just encouraging you and sustaining your hope. I think for the most part, those are the ones to remember have been with you since the beginning and let those people strengthen you because they'll continue to be with you past past the work or past the wins. And winning for the ban wasn't a moment in time. Again, it was a process. And I think that's one of my challenges that you and I have both spoken about. I need to, you know, remember the process. Um, and so, yeah, count the wins every single day. Count the people who, you know, otherwise wouldn't have been part of your movement but have come alongside because of your dedication and just keep going. And off the back of, of uh, that recent step forward, what are, what are your plans in terms of further advocacy around this issue of banning spit hoods? So at the moment we're working with another 
brilliant group of people um, to consider how we can push the Spithood ban into a national ban, but more so alongside of that, really considering discussions around use of force, around state brutality and violence, and how we're kind of cultivating change in a range of spaces that relate to those topics that we continue to see throughout Aboriginal deaths in custody movements, but also just even now in the space of COVID, over-policing and, yeah, there's a lot of work to do, but a national ban is where we can start. Well, Latoya, I just want to thank you for your advocacy. I want to thank you for your generosity in sharing your experiences and your story with us. I can't imagine the toll it must take on you to always have to be talking about these things that are so personal and so emotional, but it's a great gift to all of us in terms of our own learning and understanding that you give voice to them and uh, want to acknowledge that generosity. And thank you so much for being with us this evening on Speaking Out. Thank you always for giving us platform. Appreciate it. Latoya Rule is a campaigner for the prohibition on the use of spit hoods in prisons and sibling of the late Wayne Feller Morrison.